0: Episode 7, Religion, Tolerance, and Intolerance. So um, these are fairly important forces in our modern world, despite modern, the modern moniker. Dave, you want to get us started? Okay.
1: Uh, well, <laughs> obviously with hindsight, uh, many people see in this period the, uh, the Catholic Church as a, a negative force. It, it wasn't always 100% negative. In fact, there are many positive aspects of uh, a a universal church for Christianity. Uh, One of them is the the cultural unity that it provided. Um, Latin was not, you know, the language of science and law, Uh, you know, still is in in many ways. Uh, It was also the language of communication for uh, an educated person from Sweden and another from Sicily could immediately communicate in a shared language. Uh, the church ran the universities. You can argue that they limited education, but still, that was the route for education. And it's also a form of social mobility. You know, you can enter as a humble uh, monk or priest and gain an education, and, and you can rise in society through the ranks of the church. Uh, business hours were the same across Europe. You know, Sunday shopping, uh, feast days and holidays were the same. Uh, And and the sacraments would be immediately familiar. You know, a a baptism and a funeral are the same in Poland as they are in Portugal. Um, Your diet, you know, fish on Friday and, you know, no meat through Lent. So there was a lot that people had in common. And there's also the aspect of uh, patronage of the arts. Uh, Quite a few of the, you know, landmark artistic works of the Renaissance and you know, the late Middle Ages and so on, you know, came via the church. Having said that, (laughs) uh, the church was pretty ruthless at suppressing uh, opponents or critics. Uh, There's a long history of uh, people who criticize the church coming to a rather abrupt end. If you're a reformer, and you're on your own, chances that you will end up uh, burning at the stake are fairly high. And if you're a group and you want to uh, deviate from you know, what the church uh, specifies, then your entire group may be targeted for persecution and even outright uh, elimination. Uh, the Cathars, the Bogomils, the Lollards, um, You know, many of these groups were simply crushed and eliminated. Um, Just before the period that we started with, you have the Hussites, Jan Hus and uh, his followers in what would now be the Czech Republic. Um, Basically, these people rejected Catholic dogma that was not in the Bible. Things like uh, the veneration of saints
0: and uh, fasting and and feast days Uh, and... Of course, the tro- and a lot of these things come into Catholicism as a way of co-opting pagan and pre-Christian practices, right? I, I this is like my folk knowledge. I've never actually read about that.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure, uh, and ways of raising money, and that was the big uh, rub as far as the Hussites were concerned: the the sale of indulgences, which I'll, I'll get to just a little bit later. Uh, no question. In this period, the churches, uh the church was under scrutiny, at least, and and considerable pressure because of the corruption and the abuses that had been going on for gosh, uh, centuries. Um, you may know about the anti popes, uh, two popes at once. Uh, in in one famous case, there were three popes at the same time, and it gets really confusing if you're a if you're a, a believer. So. Um, I don't want to go into great detail about, you know, papal elections, but basically the cardinals meet in a in a closed room and they elect a new pope. So in one case, uh, thanks to the usual bribery and uh, arm twisting, um, a French bishop was elected as pope. And
0: I thought all the all the popes are Italian. No. That's oh not...
1: gosh, most. Yeah, most. But here's, here's an exceptional case where the King of France lobbied effectively, meaning bribed effectively, and uh, they, they chose a French pope. And when he went out on the balcony at, <laughs> in St. Peter's Square and, you know, the Roman people were gathered there to, to greet the new pope, they, they realized, hey, that guy's not Italian. What the hell? And there was a riot and and they were threatening the cardinals who went back inside and thought oh crap <laughs> that wasn't a good choice and they started having second thoughts so the french pope realized oh you dirty buggers you're going to change your minds and so uh, he fled and he ran to the king of france for protection understandably meanwhile the cardinals elected a new guy and they said okay the other guy he's not the pope this is your pope and he's Italian, so that was popular in Rome. So you have two popes at the same time, uh, neither one of which is willing to step down. And both of them used the papacy's ultimate weapon on each other the weapon of mass destruction, excommunication.
0: Excommunication. Oh, but wait, you know, I just wanted to say this whole two popes problem is a little bit like what's going on in Venezuela, where <laughs> except, uh, yeah, Juan Guaido declared himself president and Maduro is president and so yeah it creates a bit of a crisis and then Guaido just like the French guy ran back to America for protection which is um, I guess what you do when when your patron tries to give you a position and you don't get it properly
1: (laughs) Yeah, in this case they, they basically made it immeasurably worse not only did they excommunicate each other but they excommunicated anyone who followed that pope So the Italian Pope basically excommunicated everyone in France and all of the French allies who had recognized, you know, Pope number one because they were allied with France. So Scotland and, uh, oh, a number of German states and so on. So, of course, the French Pope excommunicated the Italian Pope, but also all of his allies, which meant Spain and Austria and England so at one point virtually everyone in Christianity was excommunicated the churches are clo- are supposed to be closed uh, no sacraments uh if you die you die unshriven it's a horrible horrible thing which the Pope should never use it's the ultimate threat once you use it now what do you what do you do and people sort of just went on with their lives and the priests decided. Well, I, I'm not closing the church, so they had to explain to their flock, "It's it, it, you're really not excommunicated. That guy's really not the pope." <laughs> so, um, so then, if that
0: doesn't count, what else doesn't count?
1: Yeah, it raised yeah. a lot of a lot of questions. Uh, there was also a period uh, called the Babylonian Captivity, where the Pope lived in Avignon in France, so that his true master uh the king of france could keep an eye on him
0: um so what's what's babylon got to do with it
1: uh i i think uh babylon uh, from the old testament being you know the root of all evil where people do horrific things like uh eat food they're not supposed to and uh commit great sins kind of like hollywood
0: i see okay
1: Uh, these issues in the church were just the tip of the iceberg. There were far more abuses. Uh, For example, uh, Pope Julius II, he led armies in person. Uh, I know the commandment says thou shalt not kill. Obviously, it's thou shalt not kill unless you have a very good reason. And as Pope, I guess he could decide, you know, and he was expanding the Papal States' territories by conquering them with an army, uh, something you don't expect the Holy Father to be doing. Uh, simony was rife. This is the sale of offices. Uh, basically, you can imagine a TV show, Who Wants to Be a Bishop? And you auction off these titles. And influential families can you know, buy a title for one of their relatives.
0: I know this is a strange question, but... The church is and was one of the richest institutions in society. How, why were they so like what's the economy of this? Why are they doing so many things to raise money? Don't they have like all the money in the in the world?
1: So you think rich people once they have a certain amount sit back and say that's that's enough?
0: Right. Right. Okay. All right. <laughs>
1: you, you never have enough money and once you're good right. at gathering it you get even better. Um yeah, the the church's greed was absolutely insatiable. Um, one of the popes wanted to build uh, St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome and figured, well, I'm not paying for it. He was a bit like a an NFL franchise owner. I want, you know, the community to pay for it. So he came up with the idea of Peter's Pence. Everybody in Christianity would pay a penny. And then once you've done that one time, uh, you can certainly do that again. Um,
0: There's a movie called Office Space, I think it's called, um, where they come up with a scheme to skim off pennies off of everybody's account. Oh, and then, yeah. Uh...
1: <laughs> yeah, th- this wasn't secret or uh, anything like that. It was right up front. Everybody give me a penny. Um, as for what they're doing with the money, hey, bribery is really, really expensive. And if you want to get elected pope, you're going to need a big bank account. It's a bit like becoming president now. It's about raising money. Um, yeah, I was mentioning the sale of offices. It, it got a little ridiculous. Like when you appoint a two year old as a cardinal, um, you know, people can figure out that this is not really the way it's meant to be. Uh, they reached a peak, though, with the sale of indulgences. I don't know who came up with the idea, but. Uh, it, it's really quite incredible. So you're familiar with the concept of uh, limbo and purgatory,
0: right? So if you uh, don't, if you aren't a, a slam dunk in terms of going to heaven or hell, you go to one of these intermediate places. Well, yeah. Um, once you come up, uh, also I think season the all five seasons of Lost took place in purgatory or limbo or
1: something. So. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, so uh, if you die unshriven, uh, there's no priest to give you the last rites, you die, uh, you can't go to heaven without the intercession of a priest, so where do you go? And the church came up with this place where it's not hell, but it's not heaven, it's the waiting room and uh, it's not ideal. There's also the question of uh, uh, infant mortality, what if a child you know, dies before it can be baptized? Well, you can't go to heaven with original sin on you, so uh, purgatory, limbo. Now, how do you feel if your uncle died unshriven and he's in purgatory? You may end up in heaven, but your uncle isn't going to be there. Unless, and here's the, the, the genius, unless you get him out. And the way you do that is by a contribution to the church, an indulgence. So if you pay a certain amount of money, the Pope will get your relative out of purgatory or limbo. It's a big money raiser. Uh, they also sold pardons. If you want to be forgiven for a particularly egregious sin, like uh, you know, murder, um, we will send a priest to your house and we will give you uh, a pardon for... Was there-
0: was there consistency like was there a a menu like a central list so it costs the same to get out of jail for murder or like get out of hell for murder in Poland as it does in England?
1: Uh I can't swear that it was the same everywhere, but there was a list of the sins and the price attached to them, so there was a menu with a price list on it, yes, yes, and you can well, imagine that's
0: good at least I mean.
1: <laughs> consistency yeah yeah. I think. yeah um when when people think of papal corruption uh there's a poster child for that and it has to be rodrigo borgia who was pope alexander the sixth uh from 1492 there's that date again to 1503 um most people who know about the borgias know that uh rodrigo wasn't shy about uh his mistress and he publicly acknowledged his children, you know, the kids that he's not supposed to have. Earlier popes would use a little uh, technique where you would identify your illegitimate children as uh, your nephew. And then you would get him a job in the church and advance his career, you know. So you promote, basically, the, your, your son is going into the father's business. Uh, but Rodrigo uh, advanced his children's career outside the church so his son cesare was a uh, a very ambitious man who wanted to unite italy and his father used the papacy's money to hire mercenaries to create an army for cesare and he used the pope's influence to uh you know diplomatically to advance his son's career um he is supposed to have had uh scandalous parties uh in in the vatican um I don't know how far to to, to go with. Uh...
0: <laughs> there was a show about them, right? Or I, oh, I feel gosh. like I know this ev- story.
1: Yeah, it's huh? got every, it's got everything. Uh, it's a, it's like uh, Game of Thrones, the the Vatican series. It, it's got uh, incest and uh, adultery and bribery and corruption
0: and wow. Yeah, it ran for a couple of years. Apparently, uh, twenty eleven to twenty thirteen.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think Jeremy Irons played played the Pope. Um, there's no question that Rodrigo uh, bribed heavily to win election, but that tradition was already well established. He didn't invent that at all. Um, in in fact, he probably learned it from his uncle, who bribed heavily uh, to become pope years before, and then used his position to advance his nephew's career, and so on. Interesting that two of his successors, uh, Sixtus V and Urban VIII, both referred to uh, Alexander VI, the Borgia Pope, as uh, one of the greatest popes of all time. (laughs) So obviously they weren't that scandalized. Uh, Other people though were. Uh, So the the church's uh, reputation in the early 1500s was at an all-time low. Um, we talked about Columbus the other day, and it's interesting how uh, he enters into the question of religion. You uh, mentioned Bartolomeo de las Casas and the question of, you know, converting the, uh, the people of the Americas and the question of whether they had souls and so on. There, there was even more religious controversy because of this. Um, the first one, what does that, the discovery of the Americas say about stories in the Bible? Uh, such as Noah's Ark. Uh, Did Noah and his sons collect llamas for the Ark? And if they did, doesn't that mean that they went to the Americas to get them? And then how did we forget that the Americas were there? Um, Then there's the question of uh, uh, Christ coming back uh, after his crucifixion. He, He came back, he spent some time with the apostles, and he specifically told them to go and convert a, and, you know, all the peoples of, of the earth. Well, which apostle got America? It's pretty hard to imagine that Christ forgot. So why didn't he send an apostle to America to convert those people? That That's not mentioned in the Bible. And then, of course, there's the question of papal infallibility. The Pope had said, I am infallible. And after getting beat up by secular rulers a few times, he said, okay, I am infallible in matters of religion. Well, if you are, didn't God tell you about all of these unbaptized people living in a continent not that far away? So when Columbus discovers the America, it raises quite a few questions. Uh, If we didn't go to convert these people, wow, that's awfully cruel. God has condemned them and and not just them but generations of millions and millions of people for a thousand years who have gone straight to limbo or purgatory no matter how good these people were they can't go to heaven and you let this happen that's really really cruel but the the real issue that starts uh the ball rolling is the sale of indulgences and again it's that question of cruelty so The Pope can get your uncle out of purgatory for money. Why wouldn't he do it out of the goodness of his heart? Why wouldn't the Pope simply declare an amnesty and let all of these souls go to heaven? So there was a monk in Germany who thought that the sale of indulgences was particularly bad, and he went to complain to the bishop and said, this is making us look really really bad we have to clean up our act and the bishop uh well the bishop ignored him uh, as it turns out the bishop needed the money to pay for his papal dispensation see the pope had allowed the bishop to be bishop of two or three dioceses at the same time but that dispensation came with a price tag so the bishop has uh, a debt to pay off and he needs the money so Basically, he ignored the monk's complaints. And you might have guessed that the monk's name was Martin Luther. By all rights, L- Luther could have ended up exactly the same way as many other reformers before him, uh, like Wycliffe and so on. He, he could have been uh, locked up. He could have been even burnt at the stake. Uh, but he wasn't. He was uh, benefiting from two things. One of them was the printing press. Uh, When he wrote the 95 Theses, uh, whether or not he posted them on the church door at the University Church of Wittenberg in Germany, uh, Luther's friends translated the 95 Theses into German and other languages and started printing copies and and spreading them around. So even had Luther not survived, his ideas were going to spread far and wide and very quickly. and. the other thing that saved him was protection from a powerful man. Uh, he caught the attention of the elector of Saxony, uh, who for his own reasons, uh, partly religious and partly quarrels that he had with uh, the church, uh, decided to protect Luther and keep him safe. So Luther was able to begin his campaign for reform and hence the Reformation. <clears throat> so originally Luther just wanted to fix what was wrong with the church And it was only when the church reacted, well, predictably, I suppose, uh, that he changed from a reformer to a revolutionary. So uh, the main ideas from the 95 Theses uh, boiled them down to to three. Uh, The first one is that salvation is not something you get uh, through the church, and it is also not something that you need to uh, earn by your good deeds and and your christian behavior your your good works salvation said luther comes from faith alone if you believe you will be saved Uh, the second main idea that he promoted was uh, how do we know what's right and how do we know what to do when it comes to religion he said authority comes from scripture not from the pope and that idea is enormously important He's basically saying, "Read the Bible yourself, and you can decide." And then his definition of church: the church is not simply the clergy; it's the community of all believers. and And all three of those ideas are um, revolutionary, and and heretical. He he probably should have been burned at the stake. Uh, he was uh, the Pope sent uh, an envoy to interview Luther. Uh, to persuade him to recant, uh, but also to arrest him if he refused. Uh, Luther was warned and managed to escape. Um, he was excommunicated in 1520, and uh, I didn't know this until I went back and did a little research. That excommunication has yet to be lifted. The Catholic Church doesn't forgive very easily. Uh, and then one of my favorite uh, historical events: the Diet of Worms. So. To spell it out for you, the Imperial Diet, D-I-E-T, is effectively the parliament of the Holy Roman Empire. So it's a gathering of the top nobles and archbishops and so on. And uh, this assembly, this Diet, was held in the German town of Worms, W-O-R-M-S, which has confused quite a few students who wondered how Luther could survive on a diet of worms. At this assembly, Luther had to defend himself, and apparently he did so really, really effectively. Uh, he, He said, unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or the councils, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. Well, he put on a great show, but that wasn't going to stop the church from killing him. What stopped the church was he was under the protection of the Elector of Saxony. Uh, In the time that he was uh, with the Elector, Luther set himself to translating the Bible uh, into German, which is another major, major uh, impact of this Reformation.
0: And he's translating it from Latin. Yeah. And Latin is not what it's written in or was that what it was written in originally? Oh, gosh, no. So there's, yeah, so there's translations upon translations, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But the, the thing, by
1: translating it from Latin, it means you do not have to be church-educated to read it. It's like the only way that you can, can read the entire Bible is by, by being a member of the church. And once you are a member, you know, you're probably going to, uh, well, drink the Kool-Aid or buy the program. Uh, Other people began emulating Luther, uh, reading the Bible and preaching and spreading their own versions. And some of these versions were even more radical than what Luther had intended. Uh, A major uprising broke out in Germany, uh, a peasants' revolt. Um, And it was a pretty serious revolt, quite a few people involved, including some noblemen who uh, had been heavily in debt to the church and saw this as a way of getting out of paying the money back and they joined in. Uh, Luther opposed the rebels. Um, he he basically took the position that they should obey the temporal authorities, uh, render unto Caesar and, and so on, which is interesting because that was exactly the opposite of what he did. So... <laughs> Uh, he He was, in fact, very proud uh, of the part he played in in crushing the rebels, which was done with tremendous cruelty and loss of life, as you can imagine. Um, there was another group who uh, decided to reform or or revolutionize the church. These were the Anabaptists. Uh, their idea basically came uh, circled around the uh, the question of baptism and how uh, children could not choose to be baptized, so in fact, the the question of free will came into it. The Anabaptists said that you should be baptized as an adult when you can choose of your own free will to be baptized. Uh, Obviously, the Catholic Church doesn't like this. Neither did Luther. In fact, nobody but Anabaptists liked this, and they all combined uh, their resources and their armies to crush the Anabaptists and eliminate them completely. Uh, Luther spent some time trying to organize his own church. He'd realized that the Catholic Church was not going to reform, uh, was not going to adopt his ideas and and change, so he he was going to start his own church. Uh, He consciously chose to avoid extreme change so as not to alienate uh, people who were, you know, innately conservative. Uh, For example, he decided not to let congregations choose their own ministers because that might be just too revolutionary. Uh, He wrote many hymns, including uh, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Um, Yeah, started his own religion. Uh, Luther's a a controversial figure even in his own time, and and some of the things he said and did uh, still strike me as odd um for example the the uh, turks were besieging vienna at the time and uh luther described them as uh, the scourge from god to punish christianity for its sins and to topple the antichrist he he meant the pope so for a while there he was cheering for the turks against uh christians
0: i guess he didn't see protestant and catholic as having a common religion can I tell the story of the Landgrave
1: of Hesse? Uh, Philip Landgrave of Hesse was a German nobleman uh, who decided that he wanted to marry uh, one of his wife's ladies-in-waiting. So he's already married, and he wants to marry a second woman. Uh, following Luther's advice, he had you know read parts of the Bible, and he'd found precedence in some of the uh, old patriarchs in, in the Old Testament. You know, they had more than one wife, so can I? And he asked Luther uh, and Philip Melanchthon uh, for advice. Um, I guess they didn't want to anger this powerful nobleman, um, but they also didn't want to go public and espouse uh, bigamy. Uh, So Luther came to the conclusion that uh, divorce was much worse than bigamy. So to avoid the greater sin... He told the Landgrave, go ahead and marry her, but don't tell anyone. Just keep it secret. So the Landgrave did this. Uh, Unfortunately for him, his own sister ratted him out. And suddenly you've got this enormous public scandal where the Landgrave of Hesse is married to two different women. Um, At which point he wrote to Luther asking for help. And Luther's advice is really interesting. Martin Luther said, tell a good, strong lie and deny the second marriage completely. Deny, deny.
0: (laughs) Sounds like the advice of a holy man to me. Uh,
1: Sounds like he could get a job in the White House. (laughs) Uh, Luther's reputation uh, also takes a big hit when you look at his attitude towards uh, the Jews. Luther argued that the Jews were no longer God's chosen people and they should convert. Uh, However, first attempts to convert them to the new religion uh, did not go very well. Uh, when Jews stubbornly refused to convert, Luther changed his attitude and advocated setting their synagogues on fire, uh, burning their holy
0: books, seizing Jewish property, and smashing up their homes. That goes beyond what Catholics are, are doing to Jewish communities at this time, right?
1: Yeah. Well, it depends on where you are. Uh, as of 1492, when Spain was united... Uh, Ferdinand and Isabella, who was very a very devout Catholic, uh, they wanted all of their subjects to be Catholic. And since many of those subjects were Muslim, those people had to be converted. And they weren't willing to wait and to use simple persuasion. So there were force, forced conversions. And while they were at it, they wanted the Jews to convert as well. So many, many people converted, but you know, obviously continued to worship their original religion in private. Uh, Ferdinand and Isabella knew that that was going on and they invited the Holy Inquisition to come in and help them out. So the Spanish Inquisition was uh, rooting out people who had converted but were still cheating in private.
0: That compares more or less closely with what Luther is talking about.
1: Yeah. A lot of the pogroms and and attacks on Jews were more, um, I don't want to say random, but they were They were not universal, so a particular uh, ruler uh, might find himself heavily indebted to Jewish moneylenders and decide that he was not going to pay them back. So you just stir up anti-Jewish feeling, get a riot started, and then the Jews will flee to some other place that is more hospitable, more welcoming. But uh, Luther's particular attitude uh, is still controversial today because historians are still debating the link between this anti-Semitism and, of course, uh, Nazi Germany, who were very happy to pick up on what Luther had said centuries earlier. Uh, Was it just a a coincidence that the Nazis happily seized on for their own purposes, or is this the start of some really uh, much more serious anti-Semitism that lasted for centuries? Uh, Luther had many contemporaries who were uh, active in the same way. I mentioned Philip Melanchthon, who did a lot to spread Lutheranism in uh, Germany and elsewhere. Uh, Ulrich Zwingli in uh, Switzerland was a contemporary. Uh, Then you have uh, John Knox, the founder of Presbyterianism. Now, he agreed with Luther on salvation by faith, uh, the idea that you don't need good works to go to heaven, and the importance of scripture. But he went with the idea that uh, congregations should be allowed to choose their own ministers. Uh, he set up councils of elders, and um, they chose their own uh, ministers and, and priests and so on. Um, they, also, they, they also agreed on uh, uh, there was no need for ministers to be celibate as uh, Catholic priests were supposed to be, but uh, frequently weren't. And then the, the, the biggest, most influential of them all was John Calvin. Um, Calvin agreed with Luther on quite a few things, but he took it much, much further. Uh, not only do you not need a, a, the intercession of a priest to go to heaven, um, basically the question of whether you are going to heaven or not has already been determined. Uh, he believed in predestination. So God knows who's going to heaven, and uh, nothing, nothing you can do will change that, good or bad.
0: Which as is a- you um as you talk about these figures, I'm sort of mapping the colleges of the University of Toronto onto them in my head, because there's a Knox College, which obviously is this Knox. Yep. Uh, there's I think Trinity College is Anglican. I think Victoria College is Methodist.
1: Yeah, I don't want to go into tremendous detail about Calvin, except that um, he was a French, a Frenchman who fled to Switzerland, uh, Basel first and then Geneva, um, and began the Reformed Church, uh, not Lutheran. He went much, much further. Um, and this idea of predestination really caught on um in fact the people who are destined to go to heaven were referred to as the elect and some began
0: oh, to oh left behind series one of the greatest uh 12 part novel series of the early 2000s <sighs> um and Jerry Jenkins and somebody and uh 50 million readers in the US i believe and cool. basically the the idea is that uh yeah the elect uh just ascend into heaven in one fell swoop, poof, and then the people that are left behind have to prepare for the second coming. Okay. It's like sci-fi kind of religious.
1: Well, in in this case, what what Calvinists meant was that uh, you could probably tell who the elect were because not only were they going to enjoy uh, the life eternal in heaven, but obviously they're blessed, so they're probably enjoying a good life on earth. If they are wealthy Uh and prosperous, they must be the elect.
0: (laughs) Oh, they get it all.
1: Sure. If you are poor and suffering, then it's probably your own fault. So these ideas uh, caught on in a number of places. Uh, The Reformed Church spread to the Netherlands, which is understandable because in this period they are fighting Catholic Spain. Uh, So it became a religious war as well as a war of liberation. Um. Calvinists were opposed to uh, any intercession from priests, including the uh, confession and penance. Uh, they argued that this was coercion. You are forcing people to be good uh, and to obey the commandments by the threat of you know, making them do penance, which is really interesting because the Calvinists also practiced uh, public shaming. Uh, you might be familiar with the Scarlet Letter by Hawthorne.
0: Yeah, Uh, Demi Moore was uh, played the character in the movie.
1: (laughs) Uh, Calvinists also uh, recommended sober dress uh, because, you know, dressing richly and wearing jewelry and so on were, you know, inciting lust and other shameful things. So they began dressing very plainly. Uh, They put restrictions on dancing because, as we all know, dancing leads to hand-holding and all downhill from there. Uh, there's another movie reference, uh, Footloose, and Kevin Bacon. Um, yep, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. We got there in episode
0: <laughs> seven. seven. Uh, yeah,
1: um, yeah. They they closed the theaters. Uh, they opposed not only dancing, but you know any any public celebration that would involve uh, drinking or having fun or anything like that. Uh, they were also, you know, despite the fact that they had decided to start their own religion, they were very, very opposed to other people doing the same thing. So the, the uh, repression of dissenters was uh, swift and brutal. The church didn't take all of this lying down, of course. They launched the Counter Reformation. So the church got lean and mean and started sending out uh, missionaries to reconvert the people who had fallen away and joined these Protestant heresies. Um, a, a Spanish soldier named uh, Ignatius Loyola uh, had a vision of an army of Christ and he founded the Jesuit order. And the church uh, was clever. They concentrated on reconverting the nobles. They figured if we can win back the, the princes, then they can bring the people with them. So the Jesuits were highly educated uh, and they became tutors and uh, instructors to the nobles.
0: Also very active in, in the Americas. We,
1: we could probably talk about the Reformation and Counter-Reformation for a long, a long, long time. Yeah, I wanted to skip ahead to Henry VIII king of England. He was born in 1491. He wasn't supposed to be king. His father, Henry VII, uh, had a a son named Arthur. So Henry's older brother, Arthur, was betrothed to a Spanish princess named Catherine of Aragon. She came to England. Only Arthur wasn't up to the marriage. He was ill. Uh, Apparently the marriage was never consummated and Arthur died. And Catherine remained in England even though she wasn't <clears throat> uh, married not not completely anyway and they had to get a, a, a papal dispensation special permission for her to stay there even though she wasn't married see Henry VII really wanted the alliance with Spain um, and they basically decided if Arthur wasn't around to marry Catherine then maybe the younger brother could step in so they got permission from the Pope And Henry married uh, Catherine of Aragon. And Catherine knew her job, produce an heir, so they got to that um, right away. Um, She bore a stillborn daughter in 1510, and then a stillborn son in 1511. In 1512, she gave birth to a boy who lived for seven weeks uh, and died. Another stillborn son in 1513, another stillborn son in 1515, in 1516, she gave birth to a daughter who looked like she was going to die, but somehow managed to survive. They named that daughter Mary. And in 1518, she gave birth to another stillborn daughter. Uh, that is uh, seven pregnancies and one child that lived. Um, that, that's not good. Uh, Henry had um, mistresses. He had at least one acknowledged Ill- illegitimate child. Uh, he'd had an affair with uh, a lady-in-waiting named Mary Boleyn. Um, She had two children. They might have been Henry's. They might not have, we're not entirely sure. But Henry was already uh, looking at Mary's younger sister, Anne, Anne Boleyn. Only Anne was uh, a different type of girl. She was holding out for marriage. She didn't want to be a mistress. So while doing all of this, uh, Henry was a not only a practicing Catholic, he was quite devout. He wrote um, a pamphlet or a book in defense of the seven sacraments. And this was in 1521, so four years after Luther got his, uh, his uh, show rolling. Uh, Pope Leo X was so grateful to Henry that he named him Defender of the Faith. So Henry wanted out of his marriage to Catherine. Um, and the only way to do that is to get an annulment that's a papal decree that the marriage never actually occurred uh, and there are several reasons you can get it one is uh, consanguinity if you married somebody too closely related to you Uh, another one is uh, non-consummation if you never actually had uh, sex then the marriage isn't complete in this case it's kind of hard to argue after the seven pregnancies Um, But that's not Henry's problem, that's the Pope's. So Henry sent envoys to the Pope, loaded down with presents and a big cash present, and asked to have the marriage annulled. Um, And the new Pope, Clement VII, was really in a tough spot. Henry is a valuable supporter of the papacy, especially in this troubled time, but the Pope's mind is on other things. He's got the Lutherans in Germany, uh he he doesn't want to look stupid. I gave you a papal dispensation so that you could marry her in the first place. Now you want me to undispensate the dispensation. You know, you're gonna make me look like an idiot. Uh there's also the question of Catherine's family. Uh she was the aunt of Charles V, the Habsburg Holy Roman Emperor. And um he sympathized with Uh, Aunt Catherine. She didn't want to be annulled. She figured that she had done her duty, uh, you know, seven pregnancies, and then it wasn't her fault uh, that none of them had produced a, you know, a healthy boy. Um, Henry got very angry when the Pope did the traditional tactic of delaying. The Pope was hoping that Catherine would get pregnant and, you know, have a healthy child this time. So he figured if if I just delay, 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 maybe the thing will solve itself. Uh, it didn't. Henry got very, very angry, uh, had Cardinal Wolsey uh, charged with treason and arrested. I think Wolsey died awaiting trial. And then Henry just decided to take matters into his own hands. So he had Catherine banished. Uh, He married Anne Boleyn secretly. Um, Then he married her a year later publicly and had her crowned queen. And she gave birth to a daughter; they named her Elizabeth. And in fifteen thirty-three, he uh, passed an Act of Succession. He basically declared his daughter by Catherine illegitimate. This is Mary, and he declared Elizabeth legitimate and Anne's future children as his heirs. And in fifteen thirty-four, he took the final step. This is the Act of Supremacy. So he broke with the Catholic Church. He declared himself head of the English church. So no more pope, I'm in charge, and that's the Anglican church.
0: And is that what most English people follow now? Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. So uh, like Luther, he didn't want to change too much to alienate people. Basically, the biggest changes in the Anglican religion are that the king is the head of the church. Uh, divorce is legal, obviously. And there is no right of appeal to Rome. If you don't like the king's decision in matters of religion, uh, there is no higher authority to go to. And then it occurred to Henry that, well, if I'm head of the church, that means all the church property in England belongs to me. And you might think, well, that's not that much. You'd be amazed. The church owned about one quarter of the land in England. Mm -hmm. And when Henry confiscated it, he became the richest man in Europe, By a long shot, he closed the monasteries and the convents and took all their property. Uh, There was opposition. Some of the monks and and nuns uh, had to be forcibly ejected, and quite a few of them had to be executed. And there was opposition from uh, prominent people as well. He had the Bishop of Rochester executed. And then, of course, there's the case of Sir Thomas More, his chancellor, uh, his good friend, who just couldn't, in good conscience, go along with what Henry was doing. So Henry had him executed.
0: Right. You know, there so were you can't you can't found a religion without some casualties.
1: There were quite a few casualties. Uh, there was a serious uprising in the north. Uh, in order to have them stand down, Henry offered the leaders uh, uh, an amnesty, a pardon. Um, then he broke his word, had them arrested, and executed them. Henry could be very, very uh, nasty. As Anne was soon to find out, uh, his wife Anne was starting to get on his nerves. I, I guess the the independence that made her a great mistress were not the quality you want in a queen consort. Uh, she'd also made enemies at court, and they thought, you know, she's so unpleasant, she must have won Henry over by some kind of spell and then, oh, witchcraft. And apparently she had... Uh, a slight birth defect she had six fingers on one hand which they figured well that that settles it she's a witch uh what really sealed her fate was when she miscarried with a male child and that that pretty much did it for her the allegations of witchcraft caught up to her in 1536 she was charged with adultery incest and treason five men were tortured and one of them broke under the torture and confessed, so they were all executed and so was she. Um, Her her death is actually kind of famous because uh, she hired her own executioner. She hired a professional swordsman uh, who guaranteed that he wouldn't miss. Uh, Henry was engaged to Jane Seymour the day of Anne's execution, and he married her ten days later. Uh, Jane bore him a male child and died giving birth to the son uh, who became Edward. So that game, that led to a new act of succession. Uh, Mary and Elizabeth, his daughters by Catherine and Anne Boleyn, were both declared illegitimate and Edward was declared his heir. Uh, apparently, Henry was brokenhearted by Jane's death, uh, the sentimental guy that he was. Uh, but his right. advisors... His advisors were a bit worried. Edward didn't look particularly healthy, and they wondered, is he going to live to be an adult? So they wanted some insurance, and they urged Henry to remarry. And this led to uh, another wife, uh, Anne of Cleves, which is another interesting story. (laughs) Sorry to go off on a little tangent here. It's just so so interesting. Uh, Obviously, they'd (laughs) never met. She lived in Germany. Uh, Her father was a... a, a Protestant, but not too radical a Protestant. So that's good. Uh, Henry saw her portrait uh, by Hans Holbein and figured she looks pretty good. So they got married <laughs> by, they got married by proxy. One of Henry's uh, advisors went over to Germany and married her because she couldn't travel unchaperoned to England because, you know, if anything happens to her virginity, the, the wedding is off. So Henry is married to this woman that he's never met. And apparently when they met, he was not pleased that she didn't look like the painting.
0: Continues to this day, I gather, with (laughs) all the online dating going on.
1: Yeah. Well, apparently the marriage was never consummated. Uh, He divorced her amicably, and uh, curiously enough, they became friends after they were divorced. Henry married again. Uh, He figured, you advisors are idiots. Uh, He had Thomas Cromwell executed, uh, at least in part for his uh, failure in the Anne of Cleves m- setup, uh, so he chose his own next wife, Catherine Howard. Uh, in- oh,
0: is Thomas Cromwell the one that? Ha- Mantel, Hillary Mantel. Yes. Right. Yeah, yes. I think he's the. I think it's there about him.
1: Yeah. So Henry chose his own next wife, Catherine Howard, uh, and married her the same day as the execution of Thomas Cromwell. So there's a, a theme he was carrying on. Um, not only was Catherine not a virgin, she'd had affairs before Henry. Uh, she continued having affairs after marrying Henry, which was really not very smart. Uh, she got caught. Uh, the men who were tortured confessed, and she was executed in 1542. So Henry married once more Catherine Parr. She, she was a widow, and this wasn't a a love match. This was more he needed a nurse to look after him. By that time... Henry was uh, obese, uh, he was covered with painful pus-filled boils and was possibly suffering from gout as well, so um, yeah, he just needed someone to look after him. When Henry died, his son Edward succeeded him. Unfortunately, Edward died airless, uh, he, didn't, he never married, he died at uh, 16, and that left the only possible heir was his sister Mary. So this is Mary Tudor, and she is known as Bloody Mary. She was the daughter of Catherine of Aragon. She'd been uh, brought up as a Catholic, and she reconverted England. She basically said, Anglicanism is out, and we are Catholic again. She brought in a bunch of Spanish priests to help her, and then she went and married Philip of Spain. He was the king of Spain, and this raised a really fascinating prospect that must have been horrifying to the French particularly, a child of theirs would be king of Spain and king of England at the same time. Um, Unfortunately for Mary, she was already 37 years old at the time. She had a false pregnancy. It it looked like she was pregnant, but uh, she wasn't. And she passed away in 1558. Um, Her nickname, Bloody Mary, uh, is really quite unfair. This is uh, propaganda by the Protestants who hated her. Yes, she had some people executed, but if you hold her to the standards set by her father, she's way behind. Henry executed uh, (laughs) so many people, so many more than she did, and yet she's the one who gets the nickname. Uh, She succeeded by her only near relative, Elizabeth, who promptly reconciled Reconverted to Anglicanism, the religion of her father and, and brother, and some more people had to go to the stake and be executed um, so it's getting kind of dangerous in England. you have to go with the flow, I guess
0: oh, all this Western civilization <laughs> so much civilization going on,
1: yeah um, we've already covered Elizabeth's successors, James the I from Scotland and then his son Charles, and then the uh, English civil war and remember a lot of that was, was built around religion. Charles' trouble with the uh, common book of prayer that was not accepted in Scotland and led to all of his troubles. Uh, and then Cromwell and, and the Puritans in charge.
0: And then... And that's when Ireland is... Yeah. A lot of the atrocities are. Uh, and then you get to the
1: Restoration with Charles II and his brother James, <clears throat> sorry, and his uh, his Catholic sons, Right. William and Mary were good Protestants. That's why they were invited to be uh, rulers in the Glorious Revolution. Uh, Mary died in 1694. William ruled until 70, 1702. And then their daughter, Anne, Queen Anne, she was childless. And when she passed away in 1714, her nearest relative, <coughs> sorry, was the sons of James II, who were refugees in France and they were Catholic and English the the English thought oh my God here we go again we can't do this so they passed a special act of succession and they changed the rules first rule no more Stuarts. we had to kick two of them out and we're not going through that again so no Stuarts can succeed to the throne and rule number two no Catholics well that eliminated the top 60 or 70 people in the line of succession. And that led them to choose the next in line who was finally not a Stuart and not a Catholic. And that was George the First, Elector of Hanover. So that's how um fat little German George became king of England. And
0: And that's the uh that's the line we're on now, right?
1: <laughs> that's right. The president of, of our head of
0: state right now.
1: Yep. Yep. So in the uh 1500s protestantism was spreading uh lutheranism uh, spread a- around germany but also to uh scandinavia um and the spread of protestantism is actually fairly easy to understand uh you get a choice you can choose your own style of protestantism uh you don't have to pay the tithe 10% of your income to the church that's very attractive and for rulers for princes Um, well, first of all, if you owe money to the church, they were the biggest money lenders. Uh, you, you can default on that debt and then you can do what Henry did and confiscate church property and become very, very wealthy. So that's a tempting, uh, prospect. Naturally enough, you had religious wars and they became really, really quite, quite nasty. Uh, I'm not saying that all the wars of the 1500s were about religion, uh, obviously not there were still you know, territorial and personal ambitions. But the Peasants' War, the war against the Anabaptists, and the First and Second Schmalkaldic Wars in Germany uh, really threatened to tear the Holy Roman Empire apart. So they came up with a compromise peace, the Peace of Augsburg in 1555. And what they decided was, if the ruler of a province is Catholic, then his subjects all have to be Catholic. And if the ruler is Lutheran, his subjects have to be Lutheran. And if you don't like it, you can leave. So they had a window of opportunity where people could migrate to a province with the religion that they espoused. And that settlement lasted sort of for a while. Uh, France had their own wars of religion. The The Huguenots were Calvinist and they and the Catholics had oh intrigues and plots and murders and war and... Uh, It culminated in the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre when Protestants in in Paris were slaughtered in the streets. Uh, The king was assassinated and that that went on tearing the country apart until uh, the Protestant leader, Henry of Navarre, uh, was winning the war and decided to take a big step. As he put it, Paris is well worth a mass. So he converted to Catholicism and reunited the country okay so there were many people advocating uh religious toleration uh let's stop killing each other over religion and just let people be uh prominent scholars uh, even some rulers but there were others who were still very intolerant and wanted all of their subjects to follow the same religion they did one of these was louis the 14th so after this, Henry of, of Navarre had passed the Edict of Nantes declaring religious freedom in France. Um, Louis revoked it and started chasing Huguenots out of France with his uh, with his cavalry. Uh, many of these refugees went to Prussia, as we mentioned before. Uh, some countries were based on permanent intolerance. Uh, England was so anti-Pope, so anti-Catholic, they installed the... Uh, The test act so in order to become uh, to work in the government to be a public servant you had to swear an oath to the king as head of the church not just king of the country but as head of the church something that a catholic cannot do and neither could many of the dissenting religions like methodists and and uh, puritans and so on so that was one way to keep catholics out of power and that test act lasted well into the 1800s.
0: I think some of this is at odds with what the reputation that uh, Western uh, that Westerners have of themselves and their self-perception relative to the rest of the world in terms of religious tolerance and magnanimity. And open-mindedness. Probably fanaticism is uh, more universal than people want to admit. I guess it's easier to see someone else's fanaticism than your own yeah i'm i'm always moderate you know it's just the people that i disagree with that are fanatical and inflexible <laughs> on that note